1: 11 to 1 on LMFM
0: With the Gilmore's Mercedes-Benz Kingscourt Our service parts and DOE centre are fully open And our car and van sales teams are available for online or phone inquiries See Gilmore's.ie or 042 966 7126 Gilmore's Mercedes-Benz Kingscourt, here for you <laughs> Keep those messages coming in on 86 It is time for a regular exploration of the story behind words. Now, words we could use every day, and also we shed light on more unusual, often difficult to pronounce words that author Grace Tierney has discovered. This month's word foolery focuses on everything from egg to whiffler, and our wonderful wordsmith, the author Grace Tierney from Stumlin, is with me. How are you doing, Grace? Hi,
1: it's Nate. Lovely
0: to talk to you. You too. Now, you're listening to all of these whifflers. Uh, we're going to get to that very, very shortly in all our, our funny descriptions of what we think it might mean. But you must be still in Easter mode, Grace, because you've got egg on your list today. Now, look, at, I'm all for that because I'm still eating Easter eggs. Would you believe it?
1: Well, that was what I was wondering was, do you actually have any Easter eggs left in your house? Because they're disappearing fast in my place.
0: Oh, no, I do. I definitely do. And a worryingly alarming amount of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I told the kids now, if they don't eat them, they're just going to get melted down at this point. Because, look, I can't keep going the way I'm going, dipping into the fridge every two minutes for them. Do you know what I mean? But you well, do- they're just sitting there. They tempt <laughs> you. It's terrible. <laughs> they, they do. But you have egg on your list. Tell me about this now.
1: I wanted to put in a nice everyday one, and yeah, yeah you're right, Easter did inspire me. So egg is, um, egg is actually kind of interesting. It's a short enough history, but uh, it's a really late addition to the English language. I mean, it's something we use in most the every day, but we didn't actually get it uh, firmly into English until the 1500s, so it's just really late for the common everyday stuff. Um, and the reason for that is there was a bit of a, a fight between two words for the word egg, so we could have been calling it something completely different. The, orig- uh, sorry, the original word in Old English was egg, so a e g. I'm not great in my Old English pronunciation, but <laughs> A-E-G was the original word. And it came from a Proto-Germanic root and all this kind of thing. But with the arrival of the Vikings into English and Irish society, um, it met with their version, which was egg, E-G-G, the way we spell it. And that comes from Old Norse. And the two words coexisted reasonably happily beside each other. For centuries, like from Viking times right up to the 1500s and eventually the more popular one was egg. It won out and A-E-G was just lost. Like lost. Us use that, it, it's not even a remnant in any other words that I could think of. Um, and egg is also a verb so you can egg somebody on to incite them to do something and and that goes back to the 1200s and it's a direct borrowing from the Vikings as well because they had a verb, eggia, meaning the exact same thing to egg you on.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say egg somebody like that you used to sort of do as a Halloween prank just for a second. I'm
1: reasonably sure the Vikings didn't (laughs) chuck eggs at people. But you know what? They were up to a lot of messy.
0: They were. I don't know. I don't know if they were wasting valuable eggs, you know. Um, Now, something, a profanity. This could be something that you could resort to if you were egged, Grace.
1: Yes, this is true. Um, and And I'm not going to do any swearing. But I have been watching a a programme all about the history of words on Netflix at the minute. Uh, Nicholas Cage is hosting. It's called History of Swearing. Um, Oh, fantastic.
0: I need to watch that. Oh,
1: fantastic. It's a a reasonable watch and you might enjoy it. Um, They just take one swear word per episode and they they only do six of them. But they they get into it with help from lexicographers, (laughs) uh, people who write dictionaries and a few comedians. So it's quite entertaining. You know, it's quite a light programme. Um, But one of them mentioned in passing that the word profanity itself came from the idea of something being outside the temple. And I was like, what the heck is that about? So it sent me off on a bit of a hunt. Um, So the idea of somebody being profane started in the 1400s, and it actually related to them being not initiated. So they were wicked, ignorant, or impious, which Mm. is quite a a litany of things. Yeah. and the idea of that was that only uh, the temple priests or the clergy, those that were associated with religion, they were allowed to deal with sacred objects and sacred rites. And if you weren't one of those, then you weren't allowed to touch these things or say the prayers or whatever. And that was because of the phrase profano, which you can see that is profane, um, which translates as out at the front of the temple. So basically, if you were a general member of the population, you weren't allowed into the temple or into the more sacred spaces. That's how we got profane. But then we also get an additional meaning of profane language or profanity. And that comes up in the 1500s and 1600s. Uh, so we suddenly have profanity to describe foul language. And this all comes back to religion as well. So it's because in the Old Testament, uh, in the Bible, it adv- advises you not to profane or to take the Lord's name in vain. Mm. And that's where we get profanity from. So interesting, but little did we
0: know that it's, you know, got to do with, you know, temples and all sorts of things. So much in that. Um, now, tell me about Celsius. This is as we measure temperature, the way we measure temperature, is it not? No. Is this that? is how yeah. we measure temperature,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's how we measure temperature in this country, because there are, of course, two different temperature yes. scales. We've got Celsius and we have Fahrenheit. Now, Celsius, oh, when I started looking at this one, I just kicked myself so hard because as you know I've written a book about eponyms so this is people whose names ended up in the dictionary in the English language mm-hmm. and uh I didn't find Celsius when I was writing that book you know years Literally years of research oh. never came across Celsius, and when I sat down to look up about Vikings and modern Scandinavian words, I stumble on Celsius and go, "Oh, for God's sake, <laughs> I
0: completely missed this!" Listen, one. Volume but, Two, Grace. You know what I mean? Volume
1: Two, yeah, yeah. Second edition. I didn't <laughs> list for the second edition. but God, there's not enough hours in the day. Anyway, so we have a Swedish astronomer in the 1700s. He's called Anders Celsius. That's how we get Celsius. So he invented the centigrade temperature scale in 1742. And its name comes direct from the Latin. So we've got centigrade, centum, meaning 100, and gradus, meaning step. So it's 100 steps on the scale from zero to 100. And as I think probably all of us know, you've got zero for freezing of water and Mm -hmm. 100 for boiling of water. So it's all based on the boiling points of water. Um, So literally anything below zero, the water will actually freeze. Um, So that was originally named centigrade. That's what he called it. But then in 1948, many years after he died, it was renamed in his honour as the Celsius scale. So that's why you can use either of the names. It means the same thing. And he was actually really quite a clever chap. So he did a whole load of astronomy work. He was also a mathematician and a physicist. And he was the first person that noticed there was a relationship between the aurora borealis, you know, the northern lights. and the fact that we have a magnetic field to keep us strong up at the poles. So he's a pretty smart guy. However, he has been rejected by a whole five countries worldwide. I thought there would be more because you do see Fahrenheit, you know, online people talking about their, you know, their temperature or whatever. Um, So there's only five countries that don't use Celsius, and that is the United States, which is why we see it all over the place, Bahamas, Belize, Cayman Islands, and Liberia. There you
0: go. Okay. Well, only five. You know, he's doing well. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, absolutely. We've <He's> nearly conquered.
0: <laughs> now, cohort. Um, now, this could be something your mum might disapprove of if they were up to no good. You know, I see you hanging around with that usual cohort of hooligans. Would I be right in that kind of description? Oh. I like that
1: one. I don't think my mum ever warned me against a cohort. Maybe that's where I went wrong. Maybe uh, no cohort was in my mind this uh, this month because uh, they keep talking about oh the vaccination cohort. Ah, oh, that's right. The news all the time, and uh, and I realised I'd actually researched this one before, and it has nothing to do with vaccination before, and <laughs> um, but it does have to do with groups of people. So uh, a cohort is actually a Roman military term. Okay, so you might remember that uh, legions of Roman soldiers, that was a certain number of soldiers. Mm -hmm. So that would have been 600 soldiers. And then each legion was subdivided, because the Romans were first organized about their army. They subdivided it into cohorts of 60 infantrymen in each one. So a cohort is actually 60 60 soldiers. They were a self-contained company. And this actually brings us to the meaning of it, because in Latin, the original word referred to enclosure. So cohort arrived in English in the 1400s with the idea of being self-contained. And it wasn't applied to soldiers at all. It was applied to walled courtyards, gardens, or enclosures. But so if you had a lovely walled garden with your castle, that would be your cohort. Ah. Um, but it still retained a subsidiary meaning of a group of companions. And that's what persisted into modern English. So when we're talking about cohort of 60s 60 to 65s going for their vaccinations or whatever, that's the group element of it. But the horse bit of it, so you've got co and hort um, is actually to do with garden. So it's a Latin rooted word hortus or garden and it gives us horticulture.
0: Ah, It's all
1: connected. I I like that idea. That's lovely, though. The notion of the Roman infantry sort of camping out in a walled garden. (laughs) It's a bit strange, but yeah, so it's to do with soldiers and horticulture.
0: There you go. Something we wouldn't have uh, guessed. Now, I think we might be all wrong in this one, right? A whiffler is a guy who walks along the drain in a milking shed, measuring the methane gas that comes off the back end of the cows, says Anne. Uh, somebody else saying, after six pints of Guinness and a curry, you get the ultimate whiffler. Lots on this sort of vein. I have a feeling we are way off the mark. Are we, Grace?
1: Well, <laughs> oh, mm, yeah. Yes and no. <laughs> I have to give some credit for the inventiveness. I, yeah, there's been a lot of smart, uh, fart smelling and curry aftermath uh, jokes yeah. going on with this one, which I am enjoying. Um, yeah, you're sort of right in the sense of whiff does mean a foul smell. So, you know, you've got one component of the word, um, and that foul smell can also be associated with a gust of wind, which might be loosely related to one of these words, okay? So bear with me. I have to tell you, no, whistler does not mean any language. Whist, you know, you're you're thinking about it, you're thinking right because you're breaking down the word and thinking about the component parts. So I I have to give some credit where it's due. So there's actually two whistler words, and one of them is historic, and one is technically in modern use, although I have to say I haven't heard it in a long time, so it might be time for it to come back. I'll do the modern one first. Yeah. So a whistler is somebody who changes their opinions and attitudes easily, wow. especially during an argument or a discussion. So basically, you can't pin down a whistler. If you're down the pub, oh, God love us, one day we will be, <laughs> and you're arguing verbally with somebody they will ease themselves away from you with a quick little twist of their beliefs. They'll be saying one thing and then suddenly they'll turn the discussion to something else entirely. And I know you've met somebody who's a whiffler because we all have.
0: We definitely we have. have. I'm going to use this so much more. I'm going to be like, oh, you're such a whiffler now. Do you know? And yes. then that'll bamboozle them completely. Uh, love it. it. Love I'm it. I'm
1: all in favour of bamboozling. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's well, you see, in
0: you've itself. inspired me to keep using that word as well. I love it.
1: Good. <laughs> Delighted to hear it. Yes. Yeah. So the next time somebody whistles with you, you know what to call them. And you know it's not profane, so it's quite good. <laughs> um, so a historic whistle, however, was something completely different. It had nothing to do with talking or smells, um, and it dates back dates back to Middle English in the 1500s. Its origins lie in a very old English word, uh, wifele. So W-I-S-E, like wife, but with an L on the end. Okay. Now, this meant batlax, and it oh. probably has roots in German originally, okay?
0: I think so, I know where you're going with this. Like, the, the axe <laughs> wife. Is this what's happening?
1: Uh, you might be in that general neck of the woods. <laughs> However... I will say to all the gentlemen listening, <laughs> um, that you probably shouldn't call your wife a battle axe and then say, word foolery told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want all these ladies turning up and giving no. um, There may be a linguistic link to the old battle axe uh, jibe, but let's not go there.
0: No, don't uh, go there. Nice okay.
1: Um So uh, the spelling, as often happens at that time, changed over time. So instead of being W-I-F-E-L, it changed the L-E instead. So more like whiffle, but without the H. um, And gradually to whiffler. Um, But by this point, it meant an actual person who was carrying a battle axe. So it was an armed attendant or a bodyguard. So the whiffler would have carried their sword or their battle axe and sometimes a torch. And they would have cleared the way for a procession or for wealthy nobles who had their own personal whistler or bodyguard to push away clear for them through the busy medieval streets which I think is actually a really good idea. And I quite like when all the shops are open in Dublin <laughs> and you're trying to, you know, before Christmas and people are cutting across parties <laughs> and banging your ankles, what you need is a whiffer. We
0: need a whiffer. Oh, Grace, I love it. That is absolutely fantastic. As always, it has been so interesting chatting to you. Thank you so much. We'll join you again next month for more Word Foolery. Great, looking forward to it. Thanks a million! Oh, that's fantastic. There you go, Whiffler, I will pick a winner. I'm going to put everybody in the hat. These are all brilliant. I'm going to pick a winner for the for the Keep Cup on that very short. I want to just tell you though, Grace has some excellent books: How to Get Your Name into the Dictionary and Words the Sea Gave Us. You can get them on Amazon, Kindle, Apple Books, everywhere, and you can check out her blog, Wordfoolery.wordpress.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com.